Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Have you ever looked into the mirror to give your future self the time it deserves? Hale Hirschfield is a social psychologist whose research focuses on decision-making, As a professor of marketing and behavioral decision-making at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, he has an interdisciplinary approach to understanding how people make their decisions. In his new book, Your Future Self, Hal dives into the philosophy and psychology of how we perceive ourselves over time, identifying three common time travel mistakes and offering practical techniques to bring the future closer. We discuss the importance of considering our present and future decisions, taking small steps towards future goals, and avoiding overloading ourselves in the present. If we start thinking about investments of time rather than expenditures, maybe we'll start focusing on allocating time towards the things that are more closely linked to our long-term well-being. Please enjoy my conversation with Hale Hirschfield. Professor Hal Hirschfield, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Hey, thanks, Paul. I'm really excited to be here. No, that was probably one of them. I, I probably need to start recording the conversation as soon as, like, you know, I get people on the on the Zoom or whatever, because it it we had such an interesting conversation before we hit record, and I'm I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> would have really dug dug into that that as well. <laughs> I love it. So, um, Hale, why don't we start off by having you tell us a little bit about your background. Um, I've come to know your work through um, the various publications that you've been in. Um, I know that you're a professor at UCLA with with uh, Cassie Holmes, whose book for uh, people that watch is behind me, Happier Hour. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember like how many years it's been I've been following your work, but um, you know, it's just it's a pleasure to have you on, and can't wait to dig into a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about, including your new book, uh, Future Self, that's going to be coming out uh, later this summer. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yes. Yeah, so my background is, like you said, I am a psychologist, a social psychologist, so I can't actually, um, you know, like help you with any clinical uh, <laughs> <laughs> clinical issues. Um, but um, my, you know, my, my research focus is really on decision making and uh, you know, how we can understand the decisions that people make and also help them make, you know, quote unquote, better ones. Um, because of that focus, I, I sit at a business school. So, you know, I'm, I'm a professor of marketing and behavioral decision making here at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. I, I also have an appointment in the psychology department. None of this stuff is all that interesting to people outside of <laughs> academia. But the, <laughs> the reason I, I mention it is because, um, you know, my my focus is kind of interdisciplinary. Uh, when I try to understand 
how people make their decisions, it's not just from a business perspective and it's not just from sort of a, you know, pure basic science psychological perspective. It's kind of a mix of a number of different disciplines. You know, I you, you saw me have that big smile because this has been at the heart of my my practice. You know, everybody most no everybody knows I'm a, a financial advisor. I have my own firm, firm Tama Capital, named after my family. But a lot of my focus over the last two to three years has been the same thing: this molding of the emotional side of financial planning with the financial side of financial planning. And I think most people have this stereo stereotypical idea of what an advisor is like, oh, that's just the you know guy or gal that picks stocks or crunches numbers. And it's anything but what I do. Like foundationally, those things are important, like portfolio management, tax prep, tax planning. But it's really the emotional side and the planning that that's where the value is. So I like when you the way you're describing that, I'm like, yeah, that's exact exactly aligned to a lot of uh, the the points that I make. I, you know, you're so right about that. Um, y- the financial advisory space in particular is one where I think we've seen a real move, a real shift toward paying attention to, like you said, it's not just the balance sheet, uh, the, the, the financial balance sheet, if you will. You know, it's it's the whole package. And I think any, you know, top-notch advisor has got to be paying attention to that right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So otherwise it's, you're missing something. <laughs> exactly. And and like we were talking about before we hit record is, you know, my focus is on working with, with uh, families, parents that have like multiple right. kids, whether you have, you know, two or three or four um, twins, multiples, like, or triplets, like I do, it doesn't matter because that, that um, those emotional strings are constantly pulling at you. You can't necessarily separate your emotional or personal life from your financial. They are so intertwined. And that's one of the reasons why I think I've gravitated to the work that you do and, and, and others like you is that this focus on helping people make better decisions, especially like where your work centers on. And we're going to get into this is like the long term. like, how can you, you know, look at your future self today and and make a better decision rather than kind of like kicking the can down the road. That yeah, That's exactly right. You know, I'll say a couple of things there. So there's, like you said, there is a real difficulty in trying to separate, separate out the different aspects of our lives. Right. You know? And so I think, you know, for a long period of time, there's always this focus on balance, you know, balance between your work. Life that and word. Your professional. Yeah, <laughs> same. And, you know, it's, and it's like, it's not that because it, you know, I think it creates this false impression that you can do <laughs> that, you know, you can do it all and balance yeah. it. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's really more about sort of recognizing where the different piece, pieces fit um, and, you know, what gets prioritized and when, uh, right. Because I think there's, you know, there's fluidity, there's shifting around of, of the different sort of aspects of our lives, if you will. Um, and, and, and you're absolutely right. I think that does feed into, um, you know, the way that we make decisions now that that impact us, that impact us now and later, right? And so there's so much of my work is on how people make decisions that have uh, a consequence now and later, you know, psychologists call this intertemporal choice, but uh, any, any non-academic can say, you know, a lot of the choices we make will affect us right now. Uh, and then also down the line, right? And so, if we sort of ignore those big decisions or don't think through them fully, 
we may be fine with the now, but then sort of regret things later, right? And so that, that yeah. I know I'm talking about abstractly and we can get concrete, but that's kind of the, that's the sort of push and pull that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I think to to just play off of that that point you just made, I think I'm starting to use the word harmonize. Like I, like I said, I hate the word balance because there are points in time where your career is going to do, to be really demanding and you're going to have to give it more time than necessarily what you are giving your family and vice versa. There's going to be times when your spouse or partner or kids are going to need you a whole heck of a lot more than, than, than your job. And so, you know, that, that teeter totter, it's never in balance. It's never just, you know, parallel it's, it's up and down, up and down. And, and how you adjust to that, I think, you know, is what helps create, you know, a, um, meaningful or sustainable or satisfying life. But I, I think it helps knowing that dynamics, it can maybe just help keep you sane. <laughs> yeah, I think you're totally right. And I love that um, sort of analogy of of harmonizing or, or description of harmonizing, whatever that is, because um, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and, it, and I think you can go even deeper with it, right? Because if, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about actual music, um, if, you know, if, 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 one of the instruments or one of the singers is sort of constantly at, at the top, you know, it's dominating, th then there's, then there's no more harmony and it's no longer a duet or it's no longer whatever it is, a symphony. It's just a solo. And so I think, you know, you sort of play that out and you think about that in work and professional life or current self and future self. If one is always taking priority, then you're right. Then the, the sort of other things, the other things sort of, uh, end up being less paid attention to uh, you you had mentioned in our pre-chat you know we talked about cassie mcgillner holmes's book happier hour and she does a fantastic job talking about you know this so, some of these ideas of sort of like thinking through what happens what we need to attend to now and you know what things need to be sort of set aside and then you know revisited uh later so if if we can move like into like a little bit deeper like into your research on decision making um you know how do people perceive the passage of of time and and how do these perceptions influence the decision making and our consumer behavior kind of it, that question kind of ties back into what you were just talking about as far as like the work that you do on decision making yeah so a lot of the work that i do on decision making really starts with the question of who are we deciding for so in other words i was mentioning earlier these sort of now and later trade-offs and if you think about any of these sorts of decisions so do i get a more expensive car or less you know do i uh take out a bigger mortgage or a smaller one do i move to a more expensive city um these sorts of you know bigger questions um if we consider the fact that all of those decisions uh, do impact us through time, then it helps to understand how people think about time and think about themselves through time, right? And so some of the work that I've done really examines the relationships and feelings that people have with and about their future selves. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sort of drastically oversimplifying this, but the gist is that the more of a sense of connection uh, the more of a sense of close relationship that people have with their future selves, the more likely they're going to be to do things now that will 
put them in a better position later on. I'm happy to elaborate, but I wanted to just stop there for a second. Yeah, I was just I was just gonna say that. Can can you elaborate on that? Can you give like maybe like an example of of that or like what that means? Right. So it's it's kind of an abstract question, right? And you know, I think even saying that we have a relationship with our future self, that sounds sort of weird, right? Our future self isn't, you know, it's kind of just in our mind's eye at the moment, like they never really exist until they do, but then it, and it's our present self. So, you know, you can, you can have these sort of mind bending conversations really quickly, but if you take it back a second, think about your future self, like you think about any other person in your life, you, you know, you, you are, I'm, you know, you and I don't know each other well, but you have, I'm going to make a guess that you have a lot of different people in your life, you know, from, you know, the the closest ones, your kids, your spouse, maybe, you know, other family members to, you know, folks that are like, you know, close friends to, you know, all the way down to the person that, you, you know, you see occasionally at the grocery store, or maybe there's somebody that works in your office and you walk by them, but you don't really know them that well. Those are all the different relationships we have. And you'll notice that they vary in degrees of closeness from very, very close to not that close at all. And what my work has tried to uncover is whether or not we can experience those same degrees of closeness or not with our future selves. Uh, And what I've been finding is that people who think of their future selves more like we think about our kids and our spouses and our elderly parents and our best friends. In other words, those are other people to us, but they're people we really care about. If we take that sort of lens and that sort of approach to considering our future selves, then we're going to be more likely to do things like get up and exercise or try to eat healthier or maybe even opt for the more ethical decision if faced with an unethical path, right? Um, Or at least that's what my and other colleagues and students research has been showing. So two two points on that or two two kind of follow-up questions is one is does does that conversation you have with your future self does it get more vivid as we get older? So full disclosure, I'm 47 and I'm thinking a lot more about this now. And I think it's because of my of getting older and then two is if there's one benefit of having kids, I'm sure there's a lot. I should probably I shouldn't have phrased it that way. <laughs> but is is every year is a transition with them. Like this year, my triplets went from elementary school to middle school. And so with that, like every stage of of parenting in my life is directly tied to them. And I and I think differently about it. Like that my future self, like, okay, well, they only have seven more years or so until they graduate from high school. What the heck is that going to be like? What is it going to be like when they get to high school? Like, um, and and so I think about that. And so I I wonder like how kids or or age is is attached to that. So that's question one. But then my other question is like, and I know I've I've read this and you've been quoted on this as saying that that the the deeper relationship that we have with that our future self is can lead to more happier or satisfying life. And that really got my attention. So I'd love to have you elaborate on that. So maybe take that first question about aging and parenting first, and then that second one second. So 
Your first question is a great one and and your intuition is spot on. And one of the things we know is that as people get older, they feel- And I'll just say this, my wife, Teresa, she'll have a milestone birthday next year. We just won't talk about what that milestone number is. (laughs) 30. That's great. Um, uh, I married young. Yeah, very young. Um, So, you know, your intuition about the link between age and um, the closeness we feel with our future selves is exactly right. Um, As people get older, they do, in fact, feel a higher degree of similarity and overlap with their future selves. Now, you know, I, I haven't really defined what I mean by future self. Now, you know, normally when we ask people, in research surveys, we're asking them to think five years out, 10 years out, et cetera. But it, it could really be any period of time. What matters here is, you know, in terms of the self we're thinking about is what's the relevant context? You know, if I'm thinking about retirement, the future self I'm considering is probably, you know, about 30, you know, between 25 and 30 years older than I am now, right? Uh, or maybe a little less. Well, we'll see. <laughs> um, as we get older, we do experience more of a connection to our future selves. And, you know, I suspect for a number of reasons, one is that life becomes a little bit more stable and certain as we get older. Um, Of course, there's still uncertainty and instability sort of around us, but, you know, if you do some of the like normative adult milestones of, you know, getting married and settling down and having a career, these sorts of things, they kind of lock you into futures that are more laid out, right? I mean, it, you can always change, but it's it's hard for people to do that. And we, we typically don't do that as much. Um, but you raise another point too, which is that as we're getting older, um, especially as, you know, if you're a parent, you start viewing the world, of course, through the milestones that your kids are going through as well, right? And, you know, boy, if there's anything to make you realize how fast time moves by it's seeing how quickly yeah definitely go from you know being able to carry them like a football to oh my gosh we're gonna think about being an empty nester right um now i don't have any great data looking at you know are parents different than non-parents on this this dimension it's a really hard question to ask because the decision you know if you're so lucky to to become a parent right that decision maybe associated with all sorts of other factors as well. Um, like maybe you're already someone who thinks about the future, maybe not, it, you know, there, there's all sorts of questions there. Um, but suffice it to say, it's a really interesting research question. I'll just add one other thing before we get to your your, your second question there, which is that um, milestone birthdays are also pretty uh, you know, you, you sort of jokingly mentioned that about about your wife, right? But but I actually have some research with uh, Adam Alter at NYU, where we've we've investigated what happens when people approach these milestone birthdays. In other words, that's like a pretty salient marker of moving through time, and it's a also kind of a salient marker of becoming like a new future self. Now I'm in my forties. Now I'm going to be in my fifties, etc. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we found is that when people approach milestone markers, they start to do kind of a audit. I'll call it like a meaning audit of their lives. You know, am I doing the things now that make my life as meaningful as I, as I want it, as I want it to be. Right. Um, and you know, that, that question can result in a, a you know, variety of different answers from, you know, no to, you know, and having a mini crisis to like, 
no, I want to do more. So yes, things are going really well and I want to continue them. Um, you know, it's why, by the way, you see more people sign up for a marathon right before. <laughs> Those <laughs> milestones, yeah. Yeah. Okay, now would you just would you just kind of reiterate the or you know rephrase the second question yeah, again? This, so I get the, it right. Yeah. So the, the follow up to that was I I've read your research and I know you've been quoted in saying this is that you know the the deeper connection that we can make to our right. future self, the happier or more satisfying our lives can become. And I'm wondering, like, what is the what is the root behind that? What's how does that how does that work? Yeah. And so this is, I think, a, um, this is a, we just need to be careful here because, you know, some of these questions are correlational and some are causal, right? And so in in research that I've done with um, Joey Reef and Jordi Quadbach, we've found that people who feel more of a sense of similarity with their future selves end up being more satisfied with their lives 10 years later. So let me like, I'll give you like a very quick overview of that. At one period of time, people are asked how similar they think they'll be to their future selves. 10 years later, researchers go back and ask these folks, how satisfied are you? The people who said that they perceived more similarity end up being more satisfied with their lives. Now we we can't say for sure it's because of that, right? Because, you know, there's a number of different things going on. But what we suspect is that if you do feel this degree of overlap and similarity, you're more likely to do things that put your put yourself in a good position later on. And that possibly can be related to these measures of well-being. It's, it's still kind of an open question as to this sort of direct link there. Another angle there, another aspect that I think is going on is that people who feel more of this overlap, this similarity, may also know themselves a little bit better too. Um, You know, so I can perceive, I I can think ahead 10 years and say, let me think of the positive and negative aspects of my personality. You know, on the negative side, like I know I, I I get a little anxious, I get a little neurotic about things. I don't really think that's going to change, <laughs> you know, and I think I'd be fooling myself if I told you that in 10 years, come back to me and I'm going to be like super chill. Um, and, you know, so I don't, I don't think I'll be disappointed when 10 years from now, I'm, I'm pretty similar <laughs> to who I am in, in some of those ways. You know, I also might perceive some positive change in other aspects of my life. You know, like I, I, I really value, um, uh, you know, getting to know my students, you know, for this is kind of a, a relatively surface level example. I, I think maybe I can do even better at that moving forward. And so you say that similarity is, well, there's a change there. But weirdly, when people think about positive changes, they think about themselves becoming more of who they are. If that makes sense, yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Like this, this whole like this, these whole points you're making, I'm just like, it's I'm just like my mind's like running a million miles an hour. I'm like just like, wow, this is this is really fascinating because I think about one thing that's been constantly on my mind with with a with a, a, a my coach that I've been working with, Matt Reiner, is like I, I always keep stressing the Matt, I'm like because he's he's always like you're trying to do too much at one point in time or at once. And I'm like, well, 
it kind of goes back to like when when I the day that I started Tama Capital was the day my triplets were born. It's like that, that that's like insane. But I think back to that, I'm like, if I wouldn't have taken that first step, I would have like now 12 years later. So it kind of fits into that nice 10 year period that you kept referencing. Like I would not be where I'm at today. And so I'm always thinking, and because of that, I think I'm constantly thinking like, what can I start today that, and 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 this is like going back to some of like Dan Pink's work that I won't regret not doing like a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Yeah, I think it's a really, really important perspective. And it's it it's really difficult, right? Because we have so many pulls on our attention and our time and our energy. And to then add in a layer and say, not only should you be thinking about the decisions you're making right now, but but now jump ahead and think about looking backward. <laughs> How would you feel if you did this thing or didn't do this thing? And I think, you know, your example about, you know, the the one step and the, the next step is is a great is a great example because you sort of can't get to the to the bigger accomplishments unless unless you take those like little smaller steps along the way. There's some really fascinating research by um Peter Gollitzer uh, and Gabrielle Oettingen, they, they you know each talk about this in slightly different ways, but about mental contrasting where we say, let's talk about where I am now versus where I want to be in the future mm-hmm. and about what are the big obstacles that stand between now and then and which of them are overcomable. So what you know what little things to back to your point, what little things can I do right now to get to that you know bigger uh, you know or that better position later on? Um, and I'll, I'll just add in one other, one other aspect here, which is that, you know, you said there, there's sort of like a negative consequence of this type of thinking, which is doing too much right now, right? Because even if I say, well, I, I want to take this one little step so I don't regret it later, there might be 10 other spaces in my life where I have that same thinking. <laughs> and then, yeah. then you are going to be in that situation where you say, I don't have any time. What am I doing? Um, and, you know, in the book, one of the things I do talk about is one instance where we kind of screw over our future selves is by saying yes too much the things that we'll later regret yeah I, I i and i agree and that's where it comes back to let's not use the word balance because that word kind of stinks harmony because i i know like teresa like when when our kids were really little get little obviously um you know i was working a full-time corporate career plus launching Tam at the same time. And so I was working like literally like 60, 70 hour weeks. And you talk about some of that regret coming back and saying yes too much is that, you know, I look back and I, and I try really hard to remember like what it was like, you know, holding them or rocking them to sleep or you're know, feeding them. And those memories, um, thinking back into the, to the, uh, Walt Disney movie, um, uh, um, the, the emotion one. God, now I can't think of the name oh, of it. Um, um, up? No, no, not uh, not up. Um, ah, oh. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> well, I'm thinking we'll like core it. memories, but yes, I, right, I can't right, think right, of. Right, uh, right. I, I know. Think I know the... which one you're talking about too, and I'm forgetting the name too because because I'm thinking about it directly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, Up is a great movie too. That's actually one of my favorite movies, uh, Disney movies. Because um, Teresa is a as a Disney, uh, we'll just call her a Disney f- fanatic. Um, <laughs> but. 
it's it's sometimes hard because to remember those times because I was working so much. And then we had, you know, like like any parent that has multiples, it's just different because it's like like a it's just like an organized chaos if if at best, you know, it's a machine line, you know, feeding and diaper changes and you know, it really wasn't until like we had our 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 plus one Mackenzie that we Teresa and I both realized crap. We missed a lot with those triplets because you're holding one and there's two other ones and you feel guilty. And, and, and it's like, we, you know, looking back at it, I know that we made the best decisions that we could. And again, tying that back to to what I was talking about, about, you know, doing something today that I won't regret in the future is like trying to make sure I'm, I'm having better relationships with my, with my kids, especially my, my two boys. Um, You know, it's, it's um I, I I love this conversation because it it's um not what you expected so probably was it talking to a financial advisor. <laughs> no, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's perfect. You know, but it's it's true. I mean, we have two kids, we don't have multiples. And you know, I can even looking back to when our our daughter was born, there's so much, you know, so much unknown. There's so much of an unknown there. Um even looking back to when our daughter was born as our first kid, there's so much of an unknown and um, we're so focused on getting things right that it's, it's easy to kind of miss, you know, those, those moments because you're, you're so focused on like, what, 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 what am I getting wrong here? And I can, I can only imagine how that's exacerbated and intensified when you've got three that you're dealing with there. Right. Um, and and at the same time, I really love the perspective of like, you got to look back at some points and for some different things and say, I, I did the best that I could. And if your answer is, why well, didn't? Well, you know, and as you said, Dan Pink has some great, um, uh, you know, perspectives on this in his on his latest book. Um, well, then let me use that regret to sort of power me forward and figure out what I can do and change now. So if... If I pivot to to coming back to touching on one thing from a financial standpoint is, you know, I know a lot of the the work that in research that you do, you know, again, come going way back to when we first started this conversation, you know, this, this pull between emotional and, and financial is like the research on increasing saving behavior through this age rendering process, if you will, of your future self. Talk to us about about that work because and if i get it right the 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 research shows like if you you know show a picture of yourself when you're 70 you may save more today when you're (laughs) 40 or 50 is that is that right yeah that's the gist so i mean the 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 bigger picture here is that you know it's can be really hard to connect with our future selves and one thing that I and my collaborators have done to try to sort of aid people along, and we, you know, we call it Dan Goldstein, my collaborator called an imagination aid is give them an image of what they'll look like in the future. Now, I, you know, when we first started doing this, it was like, um, we had to work with like a graphic designer and we had to do all sorts of like, uh, you know, of our own work and now it's like super easy right on snapchat you can just like press a button and you like boom there you are (laughs) uh well into the future um you know we've we've done this in sort of like 
you know, quote unquote, hypothetical situations where people can make intentions about saving. And we've done it in settings where people can make a real decision about their savings accounts. Um, and, you know, what, what we're generally finding is that, you know, exposure to these images kind of helps push us forward to think more vividly about our future selves so that we do something for them. It, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, the, the one thing I want to note is that, you know, it's not like this perfect, um, you know, magic bullet where like, okay, like, you know, let's just like look at older Paul and you'll be like all set and you know <laughs> suddenly find yourself saving and not spending. Right. It's like, right. it's, you know, any of these decisions that I've studied, these, you know, sort of big, as I said, intertemporal decisions have multiple inputs into them. Um, there's never many, just one thing. There's never like one silver exactly. bullet. Exactly. And there's never just one influence on our decisions, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you may have your own childhood experiences with money uh, and the way that you saw your parents spend it and your spouse might have theirs. And, you know, and then you may have one or 10 kids or, you know, there's all different factors that are going to impact how you approach these sorts of decisions with money, but also with, you know, these other sort of domains that are relevant too. Um, and, you know, our, or my, my, my sort of approach has been that seeing our future self and trying to interact with it is one, you know, tool in the, you know, in our arsenal uh, that we can use to try to do things a little bit better by those future selves for those future selves. Yeah. I think you made a really good point there because it, being an advisor, like I deal with that all the time. And, and a good example I use often because it it comes up over and over and over again between parents or, or partners is like, what do we do for college for our kids? Because usually like, I have a I have a family that, you know, the the dad worked his way through uh college, you know, didn't get any help from from mom and dad, the spouse, wife, partner, you know they were lucky, you know, mom and dad saved, they, they put them through college debt-free. And so they come at it at completely different angles. And here I am being the one that third party, independent third party arbitrator, trying to strike this, um, the, the, the right chord, if you will, between, okay, how are we going to move forward? Because you, one wants it, you know, not to, you know, pay for anything or save anything. And the other one's like, well, I want to do whatever we can to make sure they don't have debt. Yeah. And I think that is such an important part of the conversation, especially with, you know, especially the conversations you are having in your business, because, you know, these financial, these big financial decisions and, and, and other types of decisions are, you know, our relationship decisions too, right? And you know, if you if you, well, I love what you said. I, I forgot how you said it. I don't know if you're the arbitrator or the mediator or the, <laughs> the whatever you are. You 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 play an important role in that because sometimes being in that sort of like more like emotionally dialed down context can really help with decisions that can can otherwise be quite emotional. Right. Yeah. Um, just checking on time. Um. Because I, I could keep going, but I, I I know I only have you for a finite period of time. So there's two two things I want to get to. One is the book, Your Future Self. It's going to come out in June, correct? Yeah, June 6th. That's right. Okay. Can you walk us through maybe a couple points that, that you would want people to take away from reading the book? Yeah, sure. So, um, so you know, the, the 
the book that I've written, Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today. <laughs> uh, in the book, it's, you know, it's it's really all about trying to understand why we sometimes screw over our future selves and how we can do better for them. Um, but I, I, you know, I start by really trying to figure out from almost a philosophical and psychological perspective, who are we over time and how do we think about ourselves over time? And, you know, I, I hesitate to sort of get deep into philosophy and psychology because sometimes that stuff is hard to grapple with, but it, you know, I, I try to make the conversation really fun and there's thought experiments and stories in there because if we can understand something about how we treat ourselves and see ourselves moving through time, then it makes it easier to now understand why do we sometimes mess up and how we can do better. And so in the sort of second section of the book, I talk about what I call time travel mistakes. And I don't mean that in the <laughs> DeLorean, you know, back to the future type of way, but as in mental time travel, how we sort of zoom back and forth through time in our minds. And, and I, I talk about three mistakes there. You know, one is that we get overly anchored on the present. Uh, you know, I, I call it missing our flight. We sort of, you know, pay too much attention right now and all of a sudden realize that we haven't really considered the future. <laughs> uh, another one is, you know, what I call poor trip planning, where we 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 sort of think ahead to the future, but we do it in a really impoverished way. We're just not thinking about it all that deeply. And, that, you know, a classic example of that is procrastination. Um, and then, you know, in the the, the sort of third error I, I, error, I call it, or a mistake, I call it packing the wrong clothes, where we, you know, we convinced ourselves we're thinking about the future, but we're we're really using the present way too much to think ahead. And we're not really appreciating the fact that the present and the future can be different. Um, and then in the last um, section of the book, I got practical and say, okay, well, wh what can we do about it? You know, and here I talk about some of these techniques that we might use to try to bring the future closer and to try to stay on on the right course when we have these difficult decisions and then and then and then on the flip side how we can make the present sacrifices that we are making feel easier so that we can ultimately celebrate it uh in a way that really like appreciates both the present uh and the future you know of course you'll have to buy the book to you know to learn more but uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding but yeah no no it's uh, we we've had you know, I'm I'm really fortunate. I I must have pretty good persuasion because I know that your book at at some point here in the new, near future, when it gets uh, out, will probably hit the New York Times bestselling list. And we've we've uh, we've had quite quite a run of uh, New York Times bestseller authors on the on the show, and I can't wait to add yours to the to the bookshelf behind me. So, oh, that's that's awesome. Well, you know, uh, Paul, I would I of course love that, but. Uh... <laughs> Keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> well, the I'll, I'll get to my my final question that I that I ask all all my guests. Obviously, the the parents is uh, what is the best thing about being a parent? Yeah. Uh, oh, that you get to watch movies like Inside Out. There it is. Inside the Out. Yes. <laughs> okay. No, that's not my answer. Um. All right. It's uh. It's it's such a hard question because you know like so many of the things we've been talking about there's you know many of these things there is no one there is no one thing right um but you know for me personally I, kids have totally changed my definition of what it means to be happy um and you know this is actually something i talk about it in the in the book i had a mentor uh Jakob trope he's a professor at NYU we 
I ran into him when my wife was pregnant. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm also a little anxious. You know, I don't know what life is going to be because, you know, there, there's a, this whole debate in the literature about, you know, kids, they make you less satisfied with your life and you're less happy and all this stuff. And he said, you're thinking about happiness the wrong way. That suggests that happiness is one color. And, you know, with kids, it's this multicolored beast. And I think that is, you know, it, it makes so much sense because it's not that there's a weekend where I say that was a great weekend or that was a bad weekend. There's moments that are amazing and there's moments that are frustrating. And I think kids have really added so much color, you know, to, to, to my own life in terms of the meaning and the happiness I experience. Well, that's the thing. And I've said, I probably say this at the end of every episode, but I love that question because I've been doing the podcast now for over two and a half years and everybody has a completely different answer. And and, and especially yours that come at it with color because I'm colorblind. I'm just thinking like this <laughs> rainbow of color, but I, I totally can relate and understand because like you, you like within one day, there's so many seasonal changes with these kids. With these kids, like one yes. minute you're loving on them, then the next minute you're like ready to like hunt them. I'm so out frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, Professor Al Hirschfield, thank you so much for being on the on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Um, I I know that I'm going to see you here in another month uh, with with Carl Richards, but um, I uh, I look forward to uh, many more conversations to come and and in uh, a much deeper relationship. <laughs> Hey, thanks, Paul. It was so great to be here. I appreciate all your questions. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.